Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to the Guilty as Charged podcast presented by the Chargers Podcast Network. My name is Steven, and I'm the host, as always. And joining me is my guy, Tyler. Tyler, what's up, man? How are you doing tonight? Uh, doing about as well as a Chargers fan who watched the Chiefs just win their third Super Bowl. But hey, we've got some good drop content coming up. Yeah, the, the Super Bowl was a lot of fun. I know you guys had a, a successful outing over at the Shoon household. Super Bowl parties are always fun. It was kind of a a lose-lose for me personally, uh, living here in the Central Valley. There's a lot of 49ers fans and obviously Chargers against the Chiefs. So, you know, it was uh, I was rooting for my squares and my picks to hit, and uh, some of them did, so it was pretty good. Um, we have a great show planned for you guys uh, again today. Uh, Mr. Trevor Sikama is back, and we went through a ton of different draft scenarios this week. Um, he's been in Las Vegas getting a lot of draft intel, and obviously he's been at the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Bowl. Uh, so just had a great time picking his brain about um, what the Chargers could be looking at in the first and second rounds and who could be uh, potentially on the rise uh, at the combine in, here in a few weeks. So um, draft season always sneaks up on you and we're uh, coming towards the combine in a couple weeks. So should be a lot of fun and appreciate Trevor so much for uh, joining us today. Um, before we get to the uh, interview with Trevor, of course, Tyler and I are fans of the team, just like you guys are, and we're very grateful for this platform, but the opinions expressed on this show every single week are just that. They are our opinions first and foremost, um, and we appreciate all of the great support from the Chargers and from you guys uh, listening and watching the show as well. That being said, let's get to this interview with Mr. Trevor Sikama. All right, guys. Uh, welcome back to the show. We are so happy to be joined today again by Mr. Trevor Sikama. Again, you know him well from Pro Football Focus and the Stock Exchange podcast. Uh, strongly encourage you guys to go, uh, go check that out. They had some great content over the, the last week or so from Radio Row in Las Vegas. So we're very excited to have Trevor back on the show today, man. And uh, Trevor, what's up, man? How are you doing today? I am doing great, fellas. Appreciate you having me back on, as always. Uh, we've had some news uh, in y'all's neck of the woods since the yes. last time I joined the show, which I have a feeling we're going to talk about in a little bit. So uh, I'm excited to talk some ball with you guys. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's, uh, it's been certainly a busy uh, ride over here in Chargers land. Uh, like Trevor mentioned last time we spoke to him, it was a lot of generalities, just kind of, you know, getting the feelers out there, especially before the Senior Bowl. So uh, you mentioned it, Trevor, let's dive in here. Um, you guys did a fix your franchise for the Chargers um, back in the day. Uh, back in the day, I say that as if it wasn't like two months ago. Um, <laughs> but you did, a, you did a fix your franchise for the Chargers. And if I had told you back then that they would end up hiring Jim Harbaugh and Joe Ortiz, what would your have? What would your thought process have been? Uh, a couple months ago, if that were the outcome that you could have foreseen coming. Yeah, so I didn't know a lot about Ortiz, honestly. You know, when we went through this exercise, you know, with um, a lot of other teams, not just the Chargers, we did this Fix Your Franchise series with a lot of other teams. Um, I, I just didn't know a lot about Ortiz. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like, after he got signed by the Chargers, I should have, right? It's just kind of hard. You know, you, head coach candidates, I feel like, are much more – like in the open, mm -hmm. there's so much more information about them than general manager candidates. But um, man, Ortiz has an impressive background, obviously been with the Baltimore Ravens for over 20 years, you know, comes up through the scouting department, truly worked his way up. So, you know, he started out just ground level, like everybody doing it for the love of the game, you know, all the, all the, uh, the tireless hours and all that kinds of stuff. And he kind of worked up and then it's like, all right, we're going to give you more players that you're responsible for now. And then it was, okay, we're going to have you manage the whole staff. And then it was, okay, we're going to have you come up with the entire plan. So you love that because building through the draft is the way you build a good team. 
You know, free agency is there to supplement who you are going to draft. That's ultimately what that is. It takes a marriage of both of those things, pro personnel and player personnel, but the draft, it's, that's the bones. Like That's the foundation that you have of your team. So I love anybody that comes up through that background, especially somebody who has been ingrained in it as Ortiz has been with the Ravens over the last couple of years. And then Harbaugh is somebody that we did mention in that um, in that episode for the Los mm-hmm. Angeles Chargers. And the fit makes a ton of sense, right? You go back to Harbaugh. Some people only think about his Michigan days, but you got to go back to the 49ers days as well. And even before that, the Stanford days, right? I mean, like he was coaching Andrew Luck at Stanford before he took over the 49ers and made that one of the best rosters in the NFL. I, I mean, I was just watching NFL Network the other day. And they were showing a replay of the Ravens 49ers Super Bowl. Mm. And I'm watching this thing. I was like, dude, these guys are flying. And you sit here and you're like, you're, you're pointing out the names of everybody that's on the 49ers and Ravens roster. And it's like, that was one of the most impressive physical teams I've seen in a long time. And the Ravens ended up winning that Super Bowl. But uh, man, it was just an impressive roster that the 49ers had. And you could tell in that game. So he goes over to Michigan and obviously it takes a long time to rebuild a program in college football, especially up to a national championship level. And they win a championship this past year. I could have very well won it last year, won it last year as well. I don't think they would have. I think it would still have been Georgia, but it could have made it to the national championship in back-to-back years, probably should have um, over TCU. And it just speaks to the type of program builder that this guy is. And I think that's the, the, the situation that the Chargers are in. Not that their winning window is close. I don't ever want to say that for any NFL team because crazy things happen every single year and rebuilds can happen very, very quickly. I mean, look at the Houston Texans, right? But mm-hmm. it felt like a lot of chips were in the basket for the Los Angeles Chargers over the last two years of the Staley era. And it just did not come to fruition. And I think because of that, you're going to have to turn the page on a handful of these players and you're going to have to rebuild in a lot of ways. But from whatever I've read and kind of what I know about these guys now, uh, Ortiz and Harbaugh, really good one-two punch for him moving forward. Yeah, we're really excited. Uh, fans are so excited that the news dropped the day that our last episode dropped. Uh, there was the, what are the Chargers doing at five episode that we had? And then the Harbaugh news dropped. And I felt like, okay, well, people are a bit more excited about that. In terms of turning the page on some of these players and finding some other guys in the draft, Look, Jim Harbaugh is not going to draft every player out of Michigan, but there's plenty of players coming out of Michigan <laughs> this season. If you had to, just based on the Chargers' needs and Jim Harbaugh and these players, assign one player to the Chargers out of the draft class from Michigan, who would that be? Oh, um, just that's a one? tough one. <laughs> Team's good. Somebody, um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, I can't remember who it was. Might have been Alex Katzen who. Uh, who, who tweeted out a mock draft like yeah it was alex yeah, <laughs> yeah our guy. right after the harbaugh news broke and it was just every player from michigan and i remember responding to the tweet and i was like no this is stupid and then i look at it more and i was like actually that wouldn't matter draft, actually so it's okay, a good if, team man if i had to i mean they're national champions for a reason right yeah, so yeah. um i'm gonna cheat i'm gonna give you three uh i think if i had to pick one and could only have one it would be Chris Jenkins Jr., uh, the interior mm-hmm. defensive lineman. Interior defensive line is something that I know the Chargers are going to prioritize heavy either this year or the next. They've got to get better up front, specifically in the middle. Um, and I think that Jenkins, where his shortcomings are kind of uh, his limitations as a pass rusher right now, dude is just strong as an ox. Pound for pound, one of the strongest dudes in college football. Uh, I think he's going to really impress people at the combine that we have coming up here in a couple of weeks. And 
I think that if I had one player, it would have to be him to anchor and give a, a really big boost to the run stopping unit on that defensive line. But I'll also throw in there the fact that, that, man, if they got Roman Wilson, I think he'd be a fantastic deep threat as a receiver for him. And depending on what happens with Austin Eckler, Blake Corum could be a fantastic option for them in the mid rounds. I mean, I don't think you could get Blake Corum probably in round three, round four, something like that. He was extremely productive. It just the running back group is. I don't think seen as highly this year as other years. So you're not going to have to use a first or a second round pick on one, maybe even get him uh, in the third round. And then the final one, uh, AJ Barner, the tight end. I think that uh, played at Michigan his past year, played at Iowa before that. And he's just a really solid run blocker. He really increases your ability to go to 12 personnel and heavy personnel sets. And, and you know that, that, uh, that Harbaugh is going to want to continue that in the NFL. Yeah, it's uh, especially on defense with Jesse Minter and basically like the whole Michigan defensive staff coming over. I'm, I'm sure there's they're they're likely thinking about the Michigan defensive uh, front, and you know Junior Colson is certainly in this group, and same with Mikey Sangerstell. Um, just real quick question about Chris Jenkins because we are going to mention the combine, which is coming up in a few weeks as well. Um, he was on Feldman, Bruce Feldman's freak list, which happens every single fall. If you guys have, have not read that, please I, I definitely encourage you to go do that. If he does test at the combine like Bruce Feldman would kind of seem to think he could be, is Chris Jenkins somebody that could maybe launch himself into the first round? Or do you think he's kind of firmly day two? I think there's a chance because he's he is a really good football player. He's just he's just undersized. Yeah, you know, I can hmm. pull it up right now. I think I've got him interior defensive line. I have the projected numbers for him when it comes to height. Six foot two and a half, that's below the 30th percentile for Chris Jenkins, right around 305, that's hovering right around the 50th percentile. So, you know, mm. when you are shorter and a little bit lighter, when you are a pass rush specialist, you can get away with that, right? I mean, like it's it, not as drastic as Kalijah Kansi, but think about Kalijah Kansi last year. Yeah. The Buccaneers overlooked him and picked him or overlooked the height concerns, weight concerns, because he was so good as a pass rusher. You're lighter, but you're making the most of being a lighter player. With Jenkins, is a little bit tricky because he's lighter and he's smaller, but he's just an ox. Like, what he does mm -hmm. is run defense. And so I w he's a really good football player. If he got picked at the back end of the first round, I would not in any way be shocked and be like, wow, okay, good football player right there. But it just seems like because of the lack of pass rush production from him, He's going to be more of a priority second round player, even from what we're about to see at the combine. Cause you got to remember this too. The scouts and the general managers that have really already started this process, really put the big board together. They know Jenkins is going to be a freak when it comes to a lot of those athletic testing. So what they're yeah. about to see in Indianapolis is not going to surprise anybody. It's going to be awesome for us to ooh and ah about and tweet about in all caps. Like I know that I'm going to do, but for the <laughs> scouts, for the scouts themselves, uh, they already know what Chris Yank is going to bring to the table. Let's stick with that. Then. Let's stick with the combine. Who has the potential to, you know, earn themselves the most money at the combine? And is there a, a Jordan Davis and Anthony Richardson in this class? Who's just going to score a perfect 10 out there, man. You know, there's, there's a handful of guys that I think are, really good athletes. Jenkins was going to be somebody that I was going to bring up uh, fellow interior defensive lineman. Another guy who was on Bruce Feldman's freak list, Byron Murphy from Texas. Uh, I think he's going to test off the charts as well. I think Byron Murphy is going to test so well that it becomes fully consensus that he's going to be the first interior defensive lineman off the board. And I'll tell you mm -hmm. somebody who has a chance to earn a lot of money is Austin Booker the edge rusher from Kansas. Now he's kind of all over the place one year, full-time contributor this past season, but he's just got 
long arms, a long frame. He's a little bit lighter. I think he plays in two thirties, but I think this dude is super twitchy. Uh, and I think that his, his athletic scores could push him into the first round consideration. Ultimately, I think he's probably still going to be a second round guy, but anybody who's like, Oh, an edge rusher for Kansas. I don't got to watch him. It's fine. Austin Booker is really going to surprise you there. I think Cooper DeGene corner, uh, Queen on Mitchell corner. I think they're going to put on a show. Terry on Arnold, I think is the same way. Um, I would say Peyton Wilson, the linebacker from NC state. You know, I think everybody is sitting here saying, Oh, it's a down linebacker class. You know, there's not really one I'd take in the first round. I'll tell you what I recently got done with Peyton Wilson's film eval from this past season. And I go to 2022 as well. It's kind of an all encompassing scouting report film eval. And I gave him a late first, early second round grade. Now he's got a bad injury history. He had a knee injury as a senior in high school. He had a knee injury, tore his ACL his first year at NC state. Um, He's had a torn labrum on his shoulder that caused him to miss the 2021 season. Last two seasons, he has been healthy, but that's a lot of wear and tear for an older linebacker at a position that demands you make hits every single time that you're out there. So I understand the injury concerns, but when this dude's out there on tape, I think he's a really great athlete. And I think that that's going to show up as the comp at the combine as well. Final guy. I'll give a shout out to, Cam Hart, the corner from Notre Dame, bigger, taller corner. And there were times when I saw him, you know, the, the, the hips are a little bit slower to turn just because he's got so much body that he's turning. It's a natural thing that occurs with corners. But he was also on Bruce Feldman's freak list, was clocked at over 23 miles an hour when they had the, the personal GPS on him. And um, he had a really good senior bowl, really good performance in Mobile. So, He's somebody who's gaining positive momentum as this draft season is going on, and uh, he might be somebody who really impresses this year as well. Yeah, you mentioned the all-caps thing. I can't wait. I'm, I remember the Jordan Davis combine. I don't think I'll ever forget that one. There are obviously some negative uh, combine experiences out there too, Trevor. Who's somebody that you are kind of maybe anxious about testing poorly uh, in the next couple of weeks here? I think the, the, the big one is Laiatulatu, the edge rusher from UCLA. I love his tape. He is one of my favorite prospects in this class. He's going to be a top 20 player for me. I don't really care how he tests because no matter, no matter how he tests in Indianapolis, it does not take away the film that I've seen over the last two years, but he measures in with just 13th percentile arm length when he was at the senior bowl a couple weeks ago. I think he's going to be a below 50th percent or sorry, a below a 50th percentile athlete for the position in probably every category, probably all the explosive categories, at least 40 yard dash, 10 yard split, um, broad jump, vertical jump. I think all those are probably going to be below the 50th percentile. And so when you have an edge rusher who doesn't have the length, the ideal length, doesn't have the ideal explosiveness, there's not a lot of teams that get really jazzed up about that, but you cannot fake that production that he has, especially in the mm-hmm. manner that he has had it for UCLA over the last two years. 96.0 pass rush grade over these last two seasons, over 23% pass rush win percentage. No question about it has been the most productive pass rusher in all college football from 2022 to 2023. The hand usage is excellent. He understands how to get to the quarterback and, and disengage blocks so, so, so well. But I'm nervous for him. I am nervous for him because I like him a lot and he deserves to be yeah. drafted high. But if the combine performance isn't great, you might see him fall a little bit. Yeah, that's too bad. I think for for pro football focus, he's what, like first or second in the class in grades, first in oh, win yeah. rate, first in productivity, first impressions. Like it's just an unbelievable run and tear that he was on. Uh, going back to the senior bowl and even the shrine bowl, 
Are there any bowl winners that you would point out as individuals the Chargers would be interested in? And is the Jackson Powers Johnson dream completely dead for the Chargers in the second round? <laughs> so he was on my list, actually. You yeah, know, yeah. when I was when I was thinking about uh, guys that really stood out that could fit for the Chargers, he's absolutely on my list. You know, the last time that you and I, uh, you guys, chatted, uh, we we talked about interior offensive line as a potential need for him. Powers Johnson had a phenomenal Senior Bowl to the point where, yeah, I think the I think the dream's pretty much dead. <laughs> now I've heard that you know he might have. I don't know what I don't know what injury it is, but I think somebody was telling me he 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 won't. There's a chance that he doesn't have a clean medical history. Like there's something that might get mm-hmm. flagged for him as as. So maybe he slides a little bit, but I can't imagine these slides into the second round. So I unfortunately for you guys' sake, I think that that dream is dead. If you want him, it would probably in a situ be in a situation where you're trading back. Which you know after listening to to um. Ortiz's opening press conference. We we was asked about like team building. Very mm-hmm. first thing that he said, Compex baby, give me he, loves <laughs> he he was he was like, I want to set up an a environment where you get Compex. Where well, okay, well, how do you do that? You do that by drafting well, obviously, and you draft a lot. So certainly the Chargers to me are not gonna be a team that's gonna move up at all, I think, over the next two years as they kind of set themselves up for that. And I think that they're going to be in the situation where he's even going to entertain trading down from five. You know, like that's how, I mean, when you come out of the gate and you are asked about your team building and drafting philosophy and you immediately say comp picks, like I want to set up comp picks. That to me says, okay, trading back from five is on the table because Mm -hmm. you got a lot of different options. You got wide receivers, you got offensive linemen, you got the Brock Bowers element, you got, you know, corner, and you got a lot of these spots where, you could trade from five to seven to nine to 15. And like, you could get an impact player at one of those positions that I just listed. The further you move back, the more you get back in return. So I wonder if that's going to be the case, but yeah, anyways, getting back to it, Jackson Powers Johnson, I think it'd be great for him. Uh, it'd be tricky to get him on the chargers at this point, but he'd be great. You know, Quinion Mitchell is another one I mentioned lockdown corner. He's another one who you'd probably have to trade down to get, um, Roman Wilson, I mentioned already, I think is somebody that they need to look out for. When it comes to Shrine Bowl guys, there were three guys that I thought of. Uh, Renardo Green, the Florida State corner, outside corner, uh, really proficient in man coverage, press man coverage. If that's something that they want to run more of, get aggressive in that regard, which Michigan had the caliber corners to be able to do it this past year, especially with Will Johnson, who's going to be a high draft pick, I think, next year. They are known to be aggressive in what they do in the secondary. So I think Renardo Green from Florida State could be an option for them. Um, Mason McCormick. Okay, this is somebody who South Dakota State, interior offensive lineman, just an absolute ass kicker at the Shrine Bowl. And he's somebody who, okay, if you don't get if you don't get Jackson Powers Johnson, this is somebody that you might be able to get in in round three, who it's like, okay, similar type of profile from a player, just maybe doesn't have as much hype because he was absolutely dominant. Um, during the Shrine Bowl practices. And then so was Christian Boyd, the interior defensive lineman mm. from Northern Iowa. He's another person who was absolutely unblockable. I talked about uh, why Chris Jenkins Jr. would be a great fit because he hits an interior offensive line need, or sorry, an interior defensive line need that the Chargers have. Christian Boyd is another person who, if you can't get a Chris Jenkins Jr., again, maybe wait a round or two and you're able to get Boyd. Uh, I think that those are some guys who stood out during Shrine and Senior Bowl weeks who could uh, make good Chargers. Yeah, I uh, I recently watched the Penn State center, Hunter Norzad. I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of his. I know you saw him down there as well. 
Um, really, uh, Loki love this center class in general, but I want to, I want to circle back here because, um, you and Connor Rogers did your last episode about Lance Zorline's, uh, mock draft and he and Daniel Jeremiah both had the chargers selecting Terry on Arnold. You mentioned quarterback a couple of times here. Um, it sounds like the, the bigger draft guys are kind of cementing Terry Arnold as CB one in this class. I haven't had a chance to watch Quinion Mitchell from Toledo. You mentioned him as a big senior bowl winner, maybe a potential combine winner. Is Arnold that farther, that much farther ahead than Mitchell and the rest of the crowd? Or do you think CB1 is still potentially up for the grabs for a guy like Quinion? Yeah, no, I, I don't think that's the case. And I don't mean that it's, it's like Terry and Arnold at all. I mean, I think that Terry and Arnold has all pro ceiling. He really does. Um, hmm. Him getting unanimously picked between Lance and DJ in the top 10, I thought was a little surprising. I really did. Um, but the need makes sense. I think the player makes sense for them. However, Quinion Mitchell, you talk about guys who graded really well, really well um, in PFF grades. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to have an elite coverage grade. It's very, very difficult. The job is so the, the, the job is so difficult itself. And you know, PFF grades are simply you are getting graded off of like, were you able to do your job? And corner is the toughest position to grade well there. Quarterback is obviously difficult as well because there's so much up and down. We hear it all the time. Like you're going to lose at corner. Like corner is kind of like playing baseball, right? Like like everybody fails. So you're going to fail at some point. Nobody's batting a thousand. And so for you to have an elite grade at corner, it means that you are so consistently winning at the position or at least giving so many impactful plays that it overcomes the natural, you know, catches that you're going to allow. Quinion Mitchell had an elite PFF grade, not just this past year, the year before as well. Mm. Nobody in college football had more forced incompletions than him. He is extremely athletic. And I think we're going to see that at the combine. And the only real question mark in his scouting report came with press coverage because he played off coverage most of the time. When I say most of the time, I mean, he played 437 coverage snaps this past year. Only 20 of them were in press coverage, which is an mm. astoundingly no low number. Yeah. He gets to mobile for the senior bowl. They put him in press coverage. Same dominant dude. <laughs> Didn't even blink an eye. Like it's, yeah. it's like he could have played that all along because that's the question. When you have such a, discrepancy in style versus actual snaps you go okay are you not being put in that position because you can't play it or is it just because that's the overall scheme of the whole team and and they're they're not really going to change it for you because they don't have the horses elsewhere to be able to run press man coverage and it turns out he could do this all along so i really do think it is a battle for cb1 between quinion mitchell and terry arnold uh, and it might come down to who uh who ends up um having a better combine performance honestly what do you think happened then with Kool-Aid McKinstry? Because it felt like so early on in the process, it was him. He was CB1. I don't know if it's a prospect fatigue thing, as they sort of say. What did happen over the course of the last few months or however long it's been for you or other you know, evaluators for McKinstry, do you think? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of uh, of prospect fatigue um, because we have been talking about him for so long. He's still a really good football player. But here's the thing. Uh, McKinstry does not have that elite top-tier athleticism that – Queen I Mitchell, the Terry and Arnold, the Cooper DeGene, that Nate Wiggins have. He's just not quite that caliber of an athlete. Now, I think that he's plenty good enough to be a starting cornerback in the NFL. And you want to talk about pressman coverage abilities. 
this guy is so comfortable with his back to the ball. And when you're playing press, that's what you need to be. You know, there's some corners, they freak out when they cannot see the ball, when they're not allowed to keep their eyes on the quarterback. They freak out. They just don't have those instincts. McKintree has phenomenal instincts there. He is so cool, calm, collected when he is playing in trail technique. And that is that is an absolute art form. Quinya Mitchell had the most forced incompletions in, in the FBS over the last two years. McKinstry was second, you know, mm-hmm. but he just, he does not have McKinstry, that is. He doesn't have that killer instinct when it comes to takeaways that some of these other guys have when it comes to those interceptions. He'll bat the passes away, but he's not, he does not have a ton of turnovers over the last couple of years. And then I just think, there's a slight concern with you know twitchiness and long speed. He's a, he's a, he's a really good athlete. I don't know if it's at the level of these other four cornerbacks who are in this kind of tier one, tier two, first round conversation. So McKinstry should absolutely still be a first round corner. But I think the reason why you're not talking about him in the top 10 like you are these other guys is because there might be a little bit of athletic limitation. Now, if he comes to the combine and he runs, I don't like, Four four flat. Like if he starts threatening four threes, then you go, okay, never mind. Like, like let's move this <laughs> yeah. guy back up because he's got great tape. But I just think that uh, that's might that that might be what we, we we see there when it comes to speed in Indianapolis. Yeah, um, Trevor, you obviously re- uh, released a two round mock draft on Pro Football Focus uh, this morning. We're recording this on uh, Monday evening. Um, it sounds like a lot of people around the draft community have, have really started to pencil in offensive tackle or Brock Bowers for, you know, the first round pick. Um, you in your mock draft said that you are, are kind of hearing that it, it's wide receiver or corner. We've talked a lot about those two positions today. Um, why do you think that is? Because it does sound like, uh, you know, there was a certain other analyst who said that he's 90% sure that it's going to be offensive line for the Chargers. Um is is that smoke like how how much do you buy the offensive line talk for the chargers let's start there um and then why did you go in kind of a different direction uh, yeah i don't hate it like i don't hate the wide receiver or the 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 offensive tackle um conversation with the chargers i really don't when we went through the fixture franchise um episode i think that we actually gave them joe alt uh where Mm -hmm. wherever they were selecting i can't remember if the draft order was solidified at that time or not but i believe that we gave them joe alton the thought was man you get two bookend tackles with with joe alton rayshon slater these two young dudes who are absolute studs i think that that's sometimes the best way to go about protecting your franchise quarterback and so that could be the best use of investment so i definitely would not hate an offensive line investment you think about jim harbaugh and how he built michigan it was straight up through the trenches michigan over the last two years has been one of the best offensive lines in college football and when did michigan really take that next step well it was when those recruiting offensive linemen that he developed finally became juniors and seniors it was when those guys were all playing together as a unit and, and were one of the best uh, uh trenches offensive trenches in the fbs so i don't think that it's impossible there but you know when i'm just you know talking with people having conversations you know whether they're plugged in with the chargers or not i just felt like i continued to hear wide receiver or corner for that team so definitely not taking offensive line off the table but from what i have heard recently it just felt like corner or wide receiver was the way they were going to go now obviously like let's let's be real about it 
they just hired a head coach. They just hired a general manager. So it's not yeah. like you've got these deep rooted connections to where these guys are with the chargers. And, you know, you're texting them during the season and they're already getting their scouting work done and things like that. And so I, I, I fully understand that what I've been hearing could change, but that is what I have been hearing over the last week or so. And there's some really good prospects at those two positions. And that's where I went. Yeah, that's really exciting to hear all of that. Uh, at five, you went with Rome Odunze. I believe the last time we spoke on this channel, I think at least in terms of overall, not necessarily a Chargers fit, you had Malik Neighbors over Rome Odunze. One, has that changed? And then two, um, I believe you know Arjun, but we had Arjun dig up some numbers for us because we make him do everything for us. And <laughs> one, of the things, one of the things that he pulled up was that in terms of EPA per target, for Justin Herbert's career through different targets, the EPA for per target for the best wide receiver that Herbert has had is Mike Williams at 0.427. The next closest is Keenan Allen, but that's all the way at 0.270. So did you sort of keep not that in mind, but like was Mike Williams in mind when you went with sort of a Rome Odunze here as a replacement for potentially Mike Williams? Or did something else kind of sway your opinion here? No, it wasn't really... I mean, this is a really good note. Arjun's truly one of the best. And so it uh, it's no surprise that he pulled a really great stat there to give you guys some context. But um, the reason why I ended up going with Rome is, you know, I like Malik Neighbors a lot. I have him as wide receiver two. I know some people who have him as wide receiver one, even over Marvin Harrison Jr. I think that the combine is going to be very telling of where Neighbors is going to go in this conversation of this top three. Uh, if he tests the way that we believe he's going to when it comes to three-cone drill, the explosiveness, um, the 40-yard dash, all that kinds of stuff, he'll be right there in the conversation. But I ultimately went with Odunze because, you know, Odunze was doing the rounds at, at Super Bowl Media, and every person that I talked to who got the chance to interact with him was like, oh, my God, stellar dude, like awesome. And and I got that from from people who have been around the Washington program as well. And that's not to say that Malik's not. I'm I'm not saying any of this. I'm not giving Rome any kind of praise to take anything away from Malik, but when you get that confirmation that, that that everybody loves this guy when they meet him, you think that that's going to also be the case when you go through interviews, which is very important for these players, especially when the talent is very, very even. You look at Odunze, you look at the height, you look at the weight, the bigger profile, and I think that that Harbaugh is going to lean a bigger, stronger player as he builds out this team. So with both of these guys being neck and neck in terms of what they can do production-wise for your team, I may prioritize more of the movement separation skills that I think Neighbors has in an advantage. But I do believe that Harbaugh is going to gravitate towards that size advantage for Odunze. So ultimately, that's why I went with Odunze here. And I think for what it's worth, I think Odunze is going to test better than people think he will. Like I, oh, people, he's whenever super athletic, he's he super athletic. And, athletic. and anytime that we talk about Odunze, it's like, well, he's, he's another big slow guy. It's like, he's not a slow guy. He's, he's going to be a fast guy. Um, wrapping this up though, you had the chargers taking, uh, Ennis Rakestraw, the cornerback from, uh, Missouri, which is a, an awesome name for a cornerback all time name there. 
Uh, what do you like about Mr. Rakestraw, and how do you see that potential fit with Jesse Minter's defense? Yeah, I'll tell you what. He'll come up and hit. Like, he will come up and run defense, and it's a prerequisite for a Michigan defense, man. I mean, yeah. you got to be able to do it. You look at Will Johnson. You look at Mikey Sanders still. You look at those linebackers. I mean, you do not get on the field if you do not help and run defense. And Ennis Rakestraw Jr. is – he feels like he's second behind only – Cooper DeGene in terms of run defending corners uh, that were, that are going to get drafted in the top 50. So yeah, he's the reason why I have him falling to the second round. I like a lot of things about him. I like his instincts and off coverage. I like his clicking close ability, the turn and run. It's a little bit like Kool-Aid McKinstry. Like it just, he doesn't have that rare gear for recovery speed to really um, get up. Cause I mean, that's the thing Queen on Mitchell and, and Terry and Arnold, you're never going to have to worry about that with those guys. Mm-hmm. Like when they're in trail technique, it's just a matter of when the quarterback releases the ball that they are going to kick it into that rare gear and try to cut it off or, or get the, uh, the, uh, um, incomplete, the forced incompletion with guys like McKinstry and more so with Ennis Drakeshaw Jr. If he gets beat a decent amount in, in, in he's in trail technique, sometimes those wide receivers can continue to maintain that separation and, and you don't love that from a uh, CB one outside corner. So that might be something where, you know, when you anticipate it a little bit better, understanding the st- spacing, which he does really well, re- really well. I think he mitigates it very well. You know, he's got, he's at the appropriate distance off the line of scrimmage at the snap, you know, wide receivers get into him. He's getting hands on these guys. He's bumping them one way or the other. He's dictating things. And then he'll bump you and turn and run so he can try to stay as close hip to hip as he possibly can. And then, like I said, very willing run defender. Uh, knows how to get off blocks. Knows how to make tackles at the line of scrimmage or in the backfield. So that is something that I think that physicality is, get, you know, this Chargers regime is going gonna, is gonna to gravitate towards. Love that. Going to have to watch him for sure. I've got a four-day weekend coming up, so I'm just going to ask the final <laughs> question. Give me some homework. Who's the day three running back I should go watch? <laughs> oh, wow. Nice. Day three running back? Um, watch watch Dylan Lobby, the New Hampshire running back Love it. from the Senior Bowl. He is somebody who, uh, funny enough, I actually, this just clicked in my head. Some people compare him to Austin Eckler because of what he oh. can do in the receiving game as a third down back. He had one game this past season where he had 323 receiving yards. Oh my gosh. And it wasn't like <laughs> massive, like deep chunk play. Like they just kept dumping it off to this dude. He kept making a couple people miss. And it was just like 10 yards, 12 yards, 12 yards, wow. 10 yards. And it was just all the way up to over 300 yards receiving. I know he had a couple of big runs in there, but he is somebody that I would definitely tell you to watch. And then, uh, I'll give you another one. Rasheen Ali. He's the the running back from from Marshall. He you know, it's it's tough to stand out in as a running back in all-star events because everything that you do is based on contact. You can't really bring people yeah. to the ground. You're not really hitting, but Ali, known for his home run ability, showed some pretty good patience during the all-star week and so like he was somebody who was waiting for the blocks to set up and then boom he's putting his foot in the ground he had a couple of really nice runs uh at the senior bowl so those are two day three running backs i would say to uh to get some eyes on there we go there we go things are definitely starting to uh ramp up for the draft season for tyler and i i think i'm at like 60 guys on my big board now so nice uh getting all up there so really excited about that excited to uh listen to yours and connor's coverage of the combine 
definitely encourage uh, anybody listening to follow Trevor and Connor and make sure you're reading Trevor's content, listening to it. Um, this was fantastic yet again, Trevor, and we appreciate you so much. We will talk to you next month again, man. We hope you uh, have a great time in Indy and uh, help you stay safe, stay healthy, all that good stuff. Yep. Appreciate it, guys. I'll see you next month. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Tyler, uh, any big takeaway from uh, our conversation with Trevor? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the idea that it could be wide receiver or corner in play at five for the Chargers. Wide receiver, not much of a surprise, right? I think most Chargers fans, mm. at least half of Chargers fans, have been mocking neighbors or a Dunze there to the Chargers at five. But corner is, is very interesting. But I, I understand it. The Chargers need a corner. They need several corners at different points in the draft or free agency. So I, I would totally understand it. And even if it's not at five, it could be at seven. It could be at nine. It could be at 11, wherever the Chargers yeah could trade back to so exciting stuff there i gotta watch more of these corners man yeah the cornerback class is really interesting there's it, it does really sound like terry on arnold has kind of cemented his status i mentioned that uh in the interview but um daniel jeremiah um dane brugler lance zerline all these guys have terry on arnold as cb1 i think trevor and, and pff does as well um so terry and arnold has kind of you know, taking that next step here amongst, you know, the draft community, if you will. Um, I think at five would be a little rich for me, given like how I feel about the wide receivers and obviously Brock Bowers. Um, but, you know, we, we talked about trade down scenarios. And I think if you could trade down a few spots and, and snag the best corner in the draft, uh, you know, that's a that's a positive outcome for the Chargers, I think, as well, if you can recoup, recoup some uh, high end draft capital in return. Yeah, regardless, I do love the one-two punch. He'll talk, he talked about it in his mock, you know, the wide receiver in the first round, corner in the second round. I think that's really solid. As the unfortunate, you know, Jackson Powers Johnson dream has seemingly <laughs> died, I do understand why that good corner in the second round. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Maybe it'll be completely wrong by the time we revisit this in three months or so, but exciting stuff, man. Yeah, I think it's funny in February, there's always like a lot of like, oh, like I think that this team is going to do that, but like, a third of the league just hired new head coaches. Two thirds of the league have new coordinators. There were six GM hires in this cycle, including the Chargers, obviously. So there's there's going to be a lot more intel that comes out of the combine. That's really where you know Radio Row. It's it's about media connections and it's about you know interviews and everything like that. The combine, everything is focusing on the draft, and so I think we'll get some more information there. Hopefully, you guys follow Trevor uh, in that regard, but. Um, last thing, I guess, for me, before we wrap up today, uh, Daniel Jeremiah did an interview feature on the chargers website, and he was asked about like, what makes Joe Ortiz So, uh, such a great hire. One of the things that Daniel Jeremiah mentioned was his eye for offensive line talent. And that specifically, like maybe kind of raised an eyebrow, maybe not necessarily meaning like first round, but maybe Joe trusts his ability to evaluate these guys who are day, like back end of day two, day three prospects. And maybe they can steal some value that way. And that kind of tends to fit more of like how the Ravens operated. Like obviously they drafted Tyler Linderbaum in the first round and Ronnie Stanley in the first round, but they, it, it's not like they've been swinging for the offensive line fences in the first round. Traditionally, it's been a lot more of the other positions. You take second round, third round, fourth round guys after that. So I, I have been thinking about that comment from DJ specifically about Joe. And then obviously, you know, having this conversation with Trevor about corner and wide receiver not that again, like we won't have any firm takeaways right now, but like, it is curious that like everybody is like offensive line for Harbaugh, but then some of these other guys are like, Hey, like maybe wait a little bit on the offensive line talk. 
Yeah, that's the thing. You associate Harbaugh with great trench play, and that's true, and offensive line play, and the Ravens have a really good offensive line, but you can also trust yourself to take guys later and develop those guys to make really, really good offensive linemen, develop them throughout several years to become a starter, or maybe even very quickly uh, become a starter. And, and the Chargers, it really aligns with what the Chargers have been doing with um, Jordan McFadden, with Jamari Sawyer, with Brendan Hymas. Like they've gone after some of these day three offensive linemen and developed them. So yeah, I, I could definitely see that approach taking place here too. Yeah. Either way, it's going to be a ton of fun, man. The, the, I keep on saying this, but new regime, a guy like Joe Ortiz, as creative as he is, you know, I, I think there's a number of different possibilities. Whereas previously, we probably kind of knew like, where Tom Telesco would be heading, you know, like just because we had, we had known his draft styles for 11 years and everything's different this year. So it's going to be a ton of fun there. Uh, did you have any other thoughts about maybe corner wide receiver talk or, or anything else from our conversation with Trevor? Not necessarily, but I do think this corner class is really fascinating with how things have really changed with McKinstry being the guy. And then suddenly, you know, there's other other guys. And not only is it maybe not McKinstry at, at one, it's maybe not him at two. Maybe he's that third guy now. So it's a really mm-hmm. fascinating discourse surrounding the corners, which could also present a lot of really good value for the Chargers. Whereas I feel like before it felt like you trade down, you're taking McKinstry. Now it's you could trade down and maybe do it again and still find one of these really, really good corners. So I think that makes it really intriguing for the Chargers and Joe Ortiz and Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I think it's a great point because like we we come to the draft process late and like I come to the draft process and everybody's like, this corner black class isn't very good. There isn't a, a sauce Gardner type. It's not very deep. And then I'm like, I like like eight of these guys. Like this is a good class to me. So it it is a really interesting dynamic when you come to the, come to the discourse late as we do every single year. Um, but this is a good corner class and I'm excited to dive into it. I'm excited to see who tests well, you know, if Kool-Aid McKinstry can answer those athletic questions that obviously only strengthens the the class overall. So that should be a ton of fun watching that group test in particular uh, at the combine in, next, in the next couple of weeks. Fun stuff, man. Can't, can't wait to see who who shines, who has their Darnell Washington kind of day. As we mentioned, Jordan <laughs> Davis, Anthony Richardson, just fun stuff. These guys are just, they're very talented, believe it or yeah. not. Yeah, I, I know that there's a lot of uh, negative feelings about the underwear Olympics or whatever. I love watching the combine. I love it. Like, I remember... Uh, he didn't necessarily test like amazing, but I remember like watching Chris Olave run routes and things like that. And that was like a, a positive workout for me. Cause he was a guy I was, I felt like higher on than most, you know, prospect p- fatigue was very real for him, but then he went to the combine, had a great combine. So it, it's a fun thing. I'm a draft nerd. I love watching the combine, seeing these guys kind of cement their status, seeing maybe somebody who's kind of like a seventh round pick right now, shoot up draft boards. It's always a fun conversation and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how it pans out. Yeah, and heck, even if you don't participate, your name could be Keenan Allen, and things turn out okay for you. Yep, 100%. 100%. All right, Tyler, well, uh, that's going to do it for us today. Like I said, appreciate Trevor for uh, joining us this afternoon. Appreciate Eddie Oliveira and Greg Kim for producing the show. Thanks to the Chargers for having us, as always. Uh, hopefully you guys like, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. does really help continue to uh, grow the channel and support the show. Uh, that being said, we'll see you next week, as always. Hold up.